Alright guys, welcome back. Uh, this is the second installment of the Cues and Answers podcast. I'm Daniel Gillespie. And I'm Hogan Shack. And we're here to address your uh, cues on your streaming services. Cues that we assumed. Yep, yeah, yeah. We, we just, this is the stuff that we're like, yeah, maybe people might think about watching that, and then our goal is to try and tell you whether or not you should. Can they Let give me... us feedback on whether or not we're queuing up right? They absolutely can. All right. Uh, right now we don't have, like, a social media service or whatever, but if you're listening to this, you probably found us through contact information that you have of us. So yeah, you probably just, know us. Yeah, just send me an email or Instagram message or something, and maybe someday we'll get like a proper account for it. But for now, just get in touch with us somehow, and uh, let us know what we should be reviewing, and we will happily do that. Yeah, we'll go get headshots. We'll be <laughs> post those on the site. So because uh, because it's the end of a month and streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and Amazon and everything. Uh, they take a bunch of titles off, and they put a bunch of new titles on. Uh, right now it's the 30th of the month, so on Saturday is the 1st of February. We finally made it through January. Feels like it took a long time. So there's lots of new stuff coming this week that we couldn't get to all of it or actually any of it, because as, <laughs> as great as it is, it's all coming, like, tomorrow or Saturday. Uh, and so... We'll we'll probably address something next week, but for now this is this is what we got. So uh, I just wanted to do a quick run through of some things that you might find interesting over your weekend. Some old, some new, and uh, yeah. So on Netflix you can watch the movie Uncut Gems, uh, starring Adam Sandler and uh, Julia Fox, who you probably don't know, but after you watch Uncut Gems you will. It's a really good movie. I've seen it. Hogan hasn't yet. Um, but he'll see it soon enough. Oh, and, uh, give me two days. Yeah, it's really good. It's a really good thriller. Um, good sports movie, even though it's not really about sports, but you'll understand what I mean. Um, there is the decently long-awaited uh, Taylor Swift music documentary called Miss Americana. So if you're a fan of Taylor Swift, check that out. I know I will be. And maybe... Uh, respond at some point with how it is. I've heard it's good. People liked it at Sundance, so. Uh, Hulu has a couple new offerings. Uh, Fighting with My Family, uh, which stars Florence Pugh and other actors whose names escape me right now. Um, came out about a year ago, got a pretty limited theatrical release, so this is a chance for you to see it if you haven't uh, had that opportunity yet. Also on Hulu, we have Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, odds are there's you probably saw that by now, but if you didn't, like me, I didn't see it. This is your chance. That's on Hulu starting this weekend as well. And then Amazon Prime doesn't have... Amazon Prime also has Fighting With The Family. Amazon Prime and Hulu have a lot of overlap. Uh, they also have a new show called Ten, Ted Bundy Falling For A Killer. So, oh, if you're looking for a true crime fix, I know we're always looking for extra true crime fix, uh, you can you can find that there. They are beating the dead horse that is Bundy. They really are. But, like, honestly, the, the recent Ted Bundy stuff has been pretty good. I didn't get around to watching Shockingly Evil and 
Vile or whatever that one was called. But the documentary that Netflix did about Ted Bundy, uh, Ted Bundy tapes or whatever it was. Yes, Ted Bundy tapes. I liked that quite a bit. So I'm meaning to watch those. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, there's other random stuff that you can watch. Uh, starting in February on Netflix, you can watch all seven Police Academy movies. Dang. And if you knew there were seven Police <laughs> Academy movies, I don't believe you. I, I really don't. Because I, I don't think I want to be your friend. I had no idea that there were seven police. There's like three famous ones, and apparently there are seven. So I'm probably going to watch Police Academy 7 because it won't be good. <laughs> uh, you can also watch the director's cut of Blade Runner or like the final cut or something. Some extended cut of yeah. Blade Runner. Controversially, I think Blade Runner is a meh movie. He doesn't like Blade Runner, but we watched Blade Runner 2049 recently and both really liked it. Better than meh, but yeah. I wouldn't rewatch it soon. Okay. It's also almost three hours, so... That's, that's part of it. Uh, also on Netflix, you can watch Nightmare on Elm Street and a good comedy movie called The Other Guys with Mark Wahlberg and Will Ferrell. I very nearly had that on last week's uh, Best Hidden Movies of the Decade, uh, but just, just barely missed that list. On Hulu, you can watch The Fugitive, the classic Harrison Ford movie from the 90s. Very good. You can also watch Mimic, which is an early Guillermo del Toro movie. There's a decent chance we'll be reviewing that at some point in the future. You can watch five National Lampoon movies, including The Good Ones, which are Christmas Vacation and proper, you know, vacation, uh, as well as a couple of the bad ones. You can't watch Vegas Vacation for reasons, I guess. And you can watch one of my favorite movies, possibly my all-time favorite movie, when Harry Met Sally will also be on Hulu. Uh, there's nothing new much on Prime this week, other than they have some overlap with Hulu, so check out the listings if you want. But Honey Boy is coming on the 7th, which we will review in two weeks. Oh, and a very good movie called The Farewell is coming on the 12th. The Farewell is one of the best movies I saw last year. You guys should absolutely watch this movie when you get the chance. That's coming on February 12th. Yeah, we might lose some of you here, but we're both Shia LaBeouf, Nick Cage fans. Like, we really are. Let's get, we like some weird acting. We like weird acting a lot. If you have HBO starting on Saturday, you can also stream Prisoners that I mentioned last week and Punch Drunk Love, which is a really great Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Then if you want more Paul Thomas Anderson, you can find The Master and Magnolia, which are on Netflix right now. So that was a long and brief rundown of everything going on. Uh, there's lots of good stuff. I draw your attention again to Uncut Gems, Spider-Man Far From Home, and of course, Police Academy 5 through 7. I mean, <laughs> where would where would our society be without those movies? If you're on the West Coast, make sure to hit up your local weed dispensary before <laughs> attempting to watch these movies. And it probably won't help. The medication will at least save part of you. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so on to our main stuff today. Uh, our main segment is going to be a movie called I Lost My Body, which is a French animated movie nominated for Best Animated Feature that we, we didn't like this movie. It, it, was, it was pretty weird, and also like not in a good way. Yeah. So, yeah. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get into that more in a bit. 
and then we're also going to review this weird little 17-minute David Lynch short-slash-movie thing uh, called What Did Jack Do? What Did in, Jack Do? In which he interrogates a monkey about a crime. And then we're going to talk about BoJack Horseman for a bit, because we love that show, and yep. it's coming to an end this weekend. And we're both really, really, really sad about that. But yeah. also, I at least I kind of feel like a sense, like, it's probably time. We have to put the horse out to pasture. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah, I know. I respect, we'll talk about it. I respect that they're cutting it off Yep. with a solid story. Same thing with The Good Place, which I know you don't like as much, but... Uh, Gotta give it a shot. You haven't gotten into it yet. That's fine. It's also ending this weekend. It's also a show that means a lot to me. And it's sorry to see it go after only four short seasons. But at the same time, you feel like it's told the story it has to tell. And that there's no reason to prolong it anymore. So, Alright, so let's get into it. Uh, we're going to talk first about I Lost My Body. So, there's a subplot with his this guy's hand. It's sentient somehow. Yeah, so so let's let's first kind of background it a little bit uh, from a trailer or something that you might have seen. Uh, the the premise of the movie, if we can call it a premise, is it a premise? Uh, we'll <laughs> call it a premise. Uh, a loose, we'll loosely call it a premise. Uh, this guy, probably mid twenties or something, loses his hand in a. Well, we won't tell you. But he loses his hand, his hand gets cut off, and then his hand becomes sentient and like has this sort of Pickle Rick-style adventure of yeah. kind of going around, riding subway cars, fighting rats, all that kind of stuff. Oh fun yeah, I mean stuff. like rats and fire and uh, way closer to Pickle Rick than we thought it would be Yeah, yeah, made definitely. the joke originally. Yep. Yeah. And then about 20 minutes or so into the movie... The kid in the timeline before he loses his hand. The timeline's hard to keep track in this movie. It's operating at least three different times. There's sort of the boy's childhood um, memories of his family and whatnot, all relating to his hand. And then there's... Just the hand-related memories. Just hand-related memories. And then there's this, like, pre-losing-his-hand recent past... Uh, in which he has this weird flirtation with this girl who seems to be kind of into him, and then he kind of, like, tries to get to know her, and it doesn't yeah. work out. Just by voice. Yeah, initially they don't see each other, and she's into him, which is weird, and then he tries to get to know her in, like, a real sense, and she's into him, which is fine. Well, she's kind of okay with him, yeah. but as soon as she figures out that, that he was, he kind, was of kind of stalking, stalking her, her he, yeah. she immediately and understandably distances herself. Yeah, yeah. And then the boy gets sad and... There's some reason there's an igloo all over there's the place. There's an igloo. There's a lot of... There's an igloo in like three different spots in this movie. The hand draws this little igloo on the glass. We don't really know what's it going on It kind of just stands so. for frustrated sex. Yeah, it's probably. It's really weird. So, so all that to say, that's sort of the premise of the movie. Um, don't watch it. It's not great. It's not great. If this one's in your queue, you can take it out of your queue with confidence. Cross the queue. Cross it off the queue. Yeah, I know that you may have seen... You may have seen Cinefix, uh, which is a YouTube channel that I like. You may have seen them talk about it as this really great, inventive, interesting thing. 
I kind of wonder if they watched the movie the only or if thing, they just yeah. sort of watched the trailer of the movie. The only thing inventive about it is that you get a part of the story from the point of view of a hand. But when you get to the end, you realize that without that whole subplot of the hand, the movie would be the same and probably yeah less painful to sit through. Yeah, the, the part where the hand is sort of like being an anthropomorphized human stand-in. That's really cool. Yeah. There's some cool moments. Uh, If you've seen clips or trailers, this is probably what it's focused on. The subplot with the the young man and the girl is agonizingly boring. You you don't care about either. You don't care about either of them at all. And then the hand gets back to the boy... Not a boy. He's you know he's in his twenties or whatever. The young first but man. The young the young dude. The hand gets back to him and you're like, oh, they're gonna reunite, and they don't. Like he sort of like rejects the hand, but doesn't really know that he's rejecting the hand. And at that point, I was sort of wondering like, what was the point of telling part of the movie from the perspective of the hand? Yeah. I know a bunch of you out there might be thinking, you know, there's some artistic stuff happening at the end. The hand had an important part. Thought about it a little bit. It seems like he's mourning the loss of the hand and the memories of the hand. I just, I, I get it. It's dumb. It's, yeah, it's, it's close to being, it's interesting. It's an interesting movie for the most part. It's fair. And it's close to being good. But it, it's not. It doesn't actually have anything meaningful to say and you don't and feel it, like the characters are deep like deep and real and have something important to show yeah yeah the the fact that a large portion of this not a large not a large enough portion the fact that a portion of this movie was focused on a per a sentient hand does not have any payoff to it whatsoever no, the sentient part of the hand doesn't matter. You could have had a slab of a hand that he found and like reminisced over. It would have been the same movie. Yeah, it's... It, yeah, the, the, the significance of the hand... And I mean, the title is I Lost My Body, so it's almost like we're from the perspective of the hand thinking of the lost body. Um, honestly, the second half of the movie, you practically forget that it's supposed to be about this hand returning to the body because yeah. you just get lost in the the young guy's problems and justifiably frustrated social situations and whatnot. So yeah. to, quote, to quote Rise Crack, I think we're going to go deeper dumb. This one's dumb. And I'm yeah. ready to move on to David Lynch. Yeah. So let's move on to David Lynch. I freaking love David Lynch. Hogan is a big fan of David Lynch. Blue Velvet's my favorite movie. I'm also a big fan of David Lynch. Uh, I still haven't seen Blue Velvet. I've watched all of the good parts of Twin Peaks, which, for those of you who care, is through about half of the second season and then, like, the last three episodes of the second season. You can skip about ten episodes there from about 2.10 to, like, 2.18. Just go ahead and skip those. Watch a video on YouTube of what goes on in the plot. Read the Wikipedia descriptions. Don't waste eight hours of your life with them. Yeah. And then come back, catch the last couple. Before you watch season three, watch some of his other stuff. Because it gets to a level of oddness that the original Twin Peaks will not prepare you for. 
Yeah, I've watched a little bit of season three. You you finished it. I've only seen a few episodes, and it was perhaps too weird for me. It was it was uh, stretching what I was what I was able to handle. This but, is one of those where more knowledge is helpful. Go watch explanations of it, definitely. and then rewatch it. You will enjoy it much more. Yeah, if anybody approaches David Lynch and is like, "I'm afraid of spoilers," like get over that. Get because, over. It. Yeah, because it's. Fully about rewatching and re-experience. Like you can know even who killed Laura Palmer, and it's not going to change your enjoyment of Twin Peaks. Not at all. At all. So, if you're thinking like I don't want information, like yeah. get whatever information. Maybe we'll you want talk about, about this at some point. But that's usually but, a sign of good art. Rewatching yeah. enhances. So yeah, we'll uh, talk about it. A little bit later with Bojack Horseman. Anyways, so. this short though, we'll just uh, we'll talk. I'll give it a little explanation. Yeah, of course. We have a noir setting, black and white train station. David Lynch plays himself. He comes in, sits down across a monkey. What yep. kind of monkey is it? Do you remember? Uh, it might be a capuchin. Something. Yep, I think it's a capuchin. Yep. Um, it has human lips superimposed on it, but it's a Which, real capuchin. Uh, longtime fans of David Lynch know. He that's definitely a thing that he does. He does that in Twin Peaks with the backwards mouths and oh yeah and yeah. So he he's into <laughs> absurdism. I mean, the company he made this video with is called Absurda. Yeah. Um. Anyway, they have a noir lingo drenched discussion that ends with this monkey being arrested, and there's chicken love involved and a bunch of strange stock phrases. Um. Yeah, my my favorite line is David Lynch asks the monkey, "Are you now, or have you ever been a card carrying member of the Communist Party?" And it just gets dropped. I don't think anything said about it. I don't it. think it addresses it again. No. Yeah. Um, but we talked about this a little the other day. I have a couple things to say, and then I'll be done talking about this. <laughs> I love Lynch. I think one of the things he does best is takes old genres or genres that people have torn apart and then reinvigorates them by doing something new with them. And sometimes that doesn't even mean that he really says anything terribly deep, but he does something visually or stylistically appealing that revitalizes that genre. And then 10 years later, you see things normally using what he uh, was using that decade earlier that was weird is now normal. And he, he did that. So... He's an artist in that sense. He's also an artist in the sense that he often does have something deeper hiding underneath. And sometimes it takes people a couple of years even to figure out what that thing is. Yeah, I think there are... Well, I'm not sure anyone has understood Eraserhead yet, but I think there are still... Um, that the reputation of David Lynch, especially some of his sort of forgotten or more obscure movies, has only grown over the years with the help of internet forums to pull things together and YouTube videos pretending they can explain it and yes. all sorts of things. Like, uh, he's one of those, those enigma figures. Um, yeah, it's a, it's kind of a weird one to talk about because if you saw it and was like, that looks cool, then you're probably already the kind of person that already watched it and probably enjoyed it. And if you saw it and you're like, that looks weird, then you're also probably the person who won't watch it and doesn't need to. Yeah. Uh, this well, is... I will say, if 
if you haven't watched Lynch before, this isn't going to make any sense to you. Yeah. But go ahead and watch it, and just go in knowing that you're supposed to enjoy it. Try to enjoy it. If that's your goal, I think you'll have some good laughs, and it'll stick with you. Yeah, I think in general, when it comes to David Lynch, if you're trying to enjoy it more than understand it, there's a lot of Twin Peaks that does not make sense. It's not supposed to, but it's still pretty enjoyable to watch. Yeah, you'll find, uh, well, at least I've found some other people that I know have that certain things he does, he taps into something ancient in us about images that stand out to us or motifs, and he knows how to reinvent them. They'll stick with you, and Mm -hmm. maybe you'll end up learning something from it someday, maybe not, maybe it'll just be a shared reference you have, but um, it's worth putting in there. There's not too many people who can give you such vivid and long-lasting memories of what they've made. Yeah, but I would say, I mean, if you're gonna, if if you see it, you're like, that looks weird and fun, and you watch it, and you enjoy it, or don't enjoy it, you should watch other David Lynch things. I think Mulholland Drive is a pretty good starting point. You think? That's pretty weird. I, I mean, it's you know. weird, but it's got a, a manageable cast of characters. It's not a time... It's not as much of a time commitment as Twin Peaks. I mean, if you want to watch Twin Peaks, that's yeah. a good starting point. But if you're like, I don't want to commit 30 hours to watching Twin Peaks... Also, yeah. also okay. I know you haven't watched it, Dan, but if you really want a good intro that'll meet audiences as close as he'll meet audiences, a story you'll be able to follow just fine, Blue Velvet Blue is Velvet's more accessible okay. than Mulholland Drive. Okay. For sure. I think my first exposure to Lynch was Mulholland Drive. And at the time, I was like, that's kind of a head-scratcher. It still kind of is, but only toward the end. Most of the movie you can follow follow along just fine, so... Um, yeah, I, I badly need to see Blue Velvet, but, uh, there's lots of movies I gotta see, and haven't. One of life's great joyful problems. (laughs) Yeah. Um. We've said enough about that. Go watch it, judge for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's 17 minutes. Like, it's, it's a fine use of 17 minutes. You get to see a monkey sing in a very strange and delightful way. You do. Have a good belly laugh. Yeah, it's... It's definitely one that that makes you like ask a lot of questions that probably don't have answers. You'll probably laugh at something that's absurd. I mean, it's absurd. Like it's not trying to be deep or insightful really. It's just sort of like we're going to have a good time because everyone's Lynch is taking it so seriously. This interview with this monkey. Like just exactly the way an old detective interviews the the suspect he's caught like giving him all that he's got in terms of of this interview and he's having a good time with it the monkey is a monkey so it's worth watching absolutely uh it's only like like we said like 17 minutes it might not even be that long um with the credits or whatnot so david lynch's big thing is that he sticks with you, you think about it, and maybe at some point it enlightens you. And that's, I think good art does that a lot of the time. And my opinion is that something has to be pretty bad for it to not be worth 15 minutes of your time. I mean, yeah. think of how many, I mean, that's like two YouTube videos, probably, 
by the average length of YouTube video. Like, think about how many YouTube videos or sitcoms. It's less than the episode of a sitcom. Like, it's worth it. Take a shot with it. Give it a give it a play. See what you think. Because if it resonates with you, you're going to find that Lynch is, is a friend for life. And that'll be a whole new world to explore. And if it doesn't resonate with you, also fine. You probably got a laugh. Uh, you definitely got to see something weird, and it's good to remember that we only kind of get innovative art by people willing to do things that are kind of strange and unusual. So if we don't, if we don't support people willing to step outside the box, um, it's hard to push art forward. Yeah, and from a guy who's pushed art forward his whole life. I just tend to give them the benefit of the doubt that maybe this will do that, too. Yeah. And on that note, that's a decent segue into BoJack Horseman, where things are also weird, also absurd, and definitely pushed the medium of television forward in a lot of ways. And there are segues in it. Yeah. Literally and metaphorically. <laughs> there are. So, uh, just a little bit of background. If you don't... Uh, no Bojack Horseman. You should. You should. You just um, should by now. <laughs> you just should. Uh, I think it's one of, if not the best television show that Netflix has put out as a Netflix yeah. original. And if you're this kind of person, get over it being a cartoon. Oh yeah, for real. Yeah. If if you're like, oh, it's a cartoon, it doesn't have anything. Like, please, please get over it. Um, all throughout time, there have been good adult cartoons that have been made, and of course, The Simpsons, South Park, uh, more recently, BoJack Horseman, Rick and Morty, Gravity Falls, like, these are all amazing shows, Over the Garden Wall, like, oh, yeah. really, really good stuff being done but in the realms of animation. BoJack's gonna take us to places of the best short story anthologies and novels, like, it's yep. going places. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so so it's it started in uh, summer of I think August of twenty fourteen. Uh, they released seasons basically every year around August or September, and then now we're just finishing up the second half of season uh, six, which is the last group of episodes. Um, so what what the show is? It's about a a guy named BoJack Horseman who back in the 90s was a very famous TV actor, a la uh, sort of a full house kind of spinoff in which he is raising human children as a horse. Uh, as a good note that is something you almost forget, there's not really anything going on here about who's an animal and who's a person. Like, they use it for jokes more than anything else. There are plenty of human-animal relationships. It's not even, like, a race thing. Like, it's not anything. It's it's a non-factor apart from uh, an ability to tell jokes. Which they do well. Which they do well, yeah. It's it's very witty in that regard. Um, but, yeah, there's... If you're expecting deep social commentary about race relations among animals... Like, it's not... No. It's not an allegory or anything. It's but just... you do get the depths of the human soul out of all of them. Oh, definitely. And the creator has said as much. He's like, there's no logic in who's an animal and who's not. It's just some of them are and some of them aren't. So, yeah, it's... Yeah, it works fine. <laughs> I just accept them all as characters 
you'll get over it pretty much immediately. Yeah. I think by the end of the first season, I thought it was silly that people were even asking that it was that that was a factor. Uh, so yeah, so it follows BoJack Horseman, who in the '90s was this big deal TV show. I think Horsing Around, which is the fake show that he was on, ran for nine seasons. So this kind of Full House like wholesome. Uh, family, meaningless sitcom entertainment. With a happy ending. No, With no, a happy no. ending. Always a happy ending. Always all the problems tied up in 22 minutes. Um, and that's the motif of the whole show, right? Yeah. He's fighting this mentality that life gets wrapped up at the end of the day. Everything's neat and happy. Yep. Reality being hard and life not being that way. He's having this cognitive dissonance between... Mm-hmm. That expectation that brought him success, fame, money, and his actual life, which has been going downhill since he stopped acting. Yep, so since uh, since he got off horsing around, it hasn't gone well in 2007 in terms of the show's chronology. The show holds really tightly to chronology. They have it mapped out really, really well. Uh, sometimes you don't even realize, like, oh, there was, like, an eight-month time passage. But, like, the people behind the show know exactly what time it is. <laughs> That's a season five joke. What time is it now, dot com? <laughs> what time is it right now? Something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. Think it's, I haven't watched the right last now? couple seasons in maybe a year. Um, anyway. So, in 2007, he had a failed, uh sitcom pilot on um, one of the major networks that's a definite rip-off, take-off of uh, the Dana Carvey show. Uh, This idea of something that's kind of edgy and pushy uh, and that network TV is not ready for and that ends up being a total failure. Um, You know, maybe we should just recommend you go read or watch on YouTube a little summary of it. Because I think that's decent enough. Maybe you can pause this and go do that. We can get to, like, what the main things that we'd like to talk about before this last part of the season comes out. Yeah, I think that's fair. I was just trying to kind of give a yeah. sense of what was going on. So. I think with all the changes in the show over the There's five so seasons, much. it would have taken a long There's time so to summarize. There's so much going on. Yeah, that's true. Um, but, yeah, so we end up with this main cast of characters that's uh, BoJack Horseman, his longtime agent, Princess Carolyn, uh, this guy, Todd, who has no direction or purpose in life, and has just been crashing on Bojack's couch for a long time. Uh, the show, when it starts in chronology of 2014, Todd has already been there a while. Um, we see that in a couple episodes. So he's been there a long time. Uh, their friendship doesn't really have a lot of order or logic to it. Doesn't seem like much of a friendship. Yeah, it just kind of is there. And then there's uh, Bojack Horseman's uh, rival, uh, Mr. Peanut Butter. Not exactly a rival. Rival and friend. Uh, Mr. Peanut Butter was on a similar show, i.e. a direct ripoff of Horsin' Around, called Mr. Peanut Butter's House. Uh, and Mr. Peanut Butter's girlfriend and then very quickly wife diane is writing bojack's memoir and that's kind of the plot of the first season so that's kind of our characters that's kind of what's going on as hogan already pointed out the show is very largely about how to adjust to a life that does not wrap up neatly and i think it's really cool that the show is serialized in the way that it was that it drops usually 12-episode seasons all at once. 
Um, so that you really do get this sense that each episode is not wrapping up at all. Um, they're very, very connected. You have to watch them in order. You have to yeah. move along through the progression. And maybe and, we can spend a couple minutes yeah. talking about how um, the show keeps avoiding having any neat wrap-ups, but it seems mm-hmm. like people are changing. But But to get to there, maybe we can have this question in our minds to work towards is... What are we expecting out of this last slew of episodes that wraps things up in terms of Bojack and the other characters changing or not? Yeah, so at this point, we'll uh, say that if you're wanting to avoid spoilers, again, we don't really think spoilers are that big of a deal. Uh, I've had lots of things, quote-unquote, spoiled for me, and then I've watched them and enjoyed them a lot more, such as The Good Place... Once someone told me the twist at the end of season one, I enjoyed all of season one a lot better. Um, But if you do want to avoid spoilers, pause the podcast, go binge up all of the seasons of BoJack Horseman, and then come back. Uh, Because, yeah, we'll just jump right in now to how we kind of think this might all wrap up. Yeah. So I want to speak first a little bit, just for background on how it might wrap up. Just uh, maybe we can point out how... Bojack has had revelatory moments like a James Joyce and epiphanies mm-hmm. and he's also made good decisions in the right direction but as in real life and not like most TV shows I think this is the strength of the show he has at least partial or full relapses or comes to realize that that epiphanies just are part of something else going on mm-hmm. that he has to keep working towards yeah and at the end of where we left off in season 6 Uh, He seemed to be pretty happy. He seemed to be kind of finding possibly like a professor gig or something. Letting his his hair go gray in like Maine or New Hampshire or something. Something like Maine. Um, Maybe Vermont. Something over there. Uh, And so it'd be poetic if it was Maine because that's where Charlotte was going to move. Yeah. That's where they were going to move back in season one, but... Um, somewhere over there in the Northeast, and, but there's also growing tension, it seems, between his past and the relatively obvious, uh, sexual misconduct things that have occurred in Bojack's past. Oh, he's gonna have to confront those, if not publicly, at least with his closest friends. There's, there's some demons still to come out, so... Um, and you know, isn't that how it goes? You make steps in the right mm-hmm. direction, and I get biblical on you all, but like, drinking your cup of shame down to the dregs is the only way to move forward and live a good life. And Bojack's making the right decisions, but he still has the most terrible parts of his life hanging over him as secrets. And we're yeah. about to see how what his response is to those becoming, you know, coming out into the light. He has to face them now. Mm-hmm. So I think. At the end of the show, as dark as this is, that he's going to die. I don't think it's going to be suicide, uh, but I do think that he's going to die. um, Because way back in season one, like one of the very first episodes, they say something to the effect, they say, and then they make an allusion to it again later, that the season finale, that the series finale of Horsin' Around involved the horse dying. And so I think that that was a long, long range uh, foreshadowing to the ser- series finale of BoJack Horseman involving the horse dying. So you know, 
I can buy that. I can definitely buy that. I mean, I don't want this to happen. Me neither. Well, I'm going to go but from a place in my gut that desires hope and <laughs> make the prediction that BoJack does learn how to handle this, but that he suffers real lasting consequences and that the viewer is left with a BoJack finally with the potential to become a better person and maybe in the case that he has, but with real lifelong and detrimental consequences faced for his actions. I think that's the kind of story we need out there and I trust that these writers will give us something to take away that will positively affect the world because I feel like that's something they've been trying to do. Yeah, these writers have been expert. I mean, on many occasions, they've given us the most emotionally resonant moments I've ever seen on TV. Um, The episode Free Churro back in season five in which he gives his mom's eulogy in like a 20-minute monologue is as brilliant as anything I've ever seen. One of the few monologue things 20 minutes long that you'll ever watch and want to watch again i mean it's after that episode i had to stop watching the show for a while and just sort of soak in its brilliance for a while like it's it it messed me up but and the show's endlessly rewatchable this is i've probably watched the first couple seasons five or six times at this point season three a similar number season four just a little bit less basically every year when a new season came out i'd rewatch the previous one sometimes more often um, and, you know, keep adding seasons to it. So it, very, very, very rewatchable. Um, and so all that to say, I also have absolute confidence that the writers are going to do something, um, really, really good with the ending. Yeah. I feel like so far they have never shied away from anything dark, but they've always been life affirming. And yeah. I think some people might disagree with that seeing as Bojack doesn't change much, but there's a strong case to be made that he is incrementally changing yep. for the better. Yeah. And we, we're, yeah. It's again, it's, it's an attempt to get past our mindsets that say, even in like the course of a 300 page novel, that a massive amount of character change can happen just like that. And this show has always been about, even with the other characters, incremental change. I mean, Todd very, very gradually coming to terms with his asexuality, coming to terms with his life kind of going nowhere. Diane and Mr. Peanut Butter very, very gradually over the course of about three seasons coming to see the difficulties in their marriage. Mr. Peanut Butter coming to see sort of the reality of death, the reality of, of the, of the people that he's hurt. I mean, that was kind of a big part of the first half of season six, this idea that all these young women that he's married have changed and that he's just as stagnant and trapped in, uh, patterns as, as other people. Yeah. One that stood out to me recently that I've just found refreshing to see on TV is princess Carolyn's arc of, Mm -hmm choosing single motherhood and then that not just being praised and left at that yeah, but we're yeah. working through like what does that look like the joys yep. the ugly sides we're getting to see this kid develop it's highly interesting i think we're going to get to see i think there's going to be more jumps forward in time i could see that yeah i mean they've jumped forward there was at the beginning of season four that i just watched the other day um 
it moved forward like eight months in like a blink and then like another 12 it says at one point that diane hadn't seen bojack in 18 months and for us it's been like three episodes so i think there's a there's a very real chance this this show has always had in mind a very specific sense of time uh what that time means the people you hurt in time time doesn't heal all wounds that's one of the ideas of this show i think uh and so i think it's very possible that we see a few more jumps forward in time but maybe not we'll see yeah i wouldn't be surprised to see us ahead a few years after bojack's dealt with everything and then Mm -hmm. deal with it through in the moment conversations and flashbacks or uh wouldn't surprise me in the least but it kind of leads us to uh i think we're both refreshed to see a very strong tv show going out strong because it's following the arc of the story yeah and there's I think increasing hope that that's going to be the norm of television. Streaming seems to be Yeah, streaming seems to be a world in which you get to tell, if Netflix gives you the ability, as much story as you have and then not anymore. And I think things like Atlanta getting like four ten-episode seasons and that's probably it. Or like Better Call Saul is going to go out after six seasons, right around the same length as Breaking Bad. Like, I think more and more TV shows... Don't feel any pressure to crank out nine seasons of 20 episodes. I think the days of 20 or of 200 episode sitcoms are pretty much behind us completely. Uh, and more and more shows are getting to work out exactly how much story they have and let things go at that point. Of course, there are shows that are still getting cut short. Um, but I think a lot of the time they're getting an opportunity to end when they want to end um, and I think that's really cool. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm convinced I'm a person who loves novels, short stories, literature, and I, I know for a fact those things are still thriving. But it seems like the artists who really are going to shake up the world anymore are finally getting an opportunity to do their thing a hundred percent on TV platforms, which yeah seems I don't. Other than a few cases, people maybe like Alfred Hitchcock presents or things peppered in throughout history that mm-hmm. just hasn't been normal. Well, and even like 10 years ago, it wasn't normal. Um, I was reading just today, uh, like in a couple weeks with the new series Hunters on Amazon Prime, uh, executive produced by Jordan Peele about this group of American Nazi hunters, which will be amazing. Um, very excited about that one. It's Al Pacino's first TV role. Whoa. Like, even this idea that that somebody as big as Al Pacino is, like, finally willing to go do TV. Like, we're, it take it's taken a long time to kind of break down this stigma around television. Uh, and I think we're almost kind of finally there. And we're going to see j- the best minds. Already we see probably the best writers are on TV shows more than on movies. Um, for the most part. Yeah. But... And just so we don't sound like dummies, we are aware that in other parts of the world, short serialized stories that are excellent have been around. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's a great joke on The Good Place uh, that one of Britain's like longest-running shows had like 30 episodes. It makes me laugh every time, because <laughs> they've had such short seasons. She's like, it ran 13 seasons and had 40 episodes, or whatever the joke is, so it's pretty great. But yeah, we're... We're aware, and we're also aware that there's a lot of 
I think increasingly more and more of the best movies are going to be made outside of the U.S. I mean, just think, we've had two years in a row that a very, very serious Oscar contender, Roma, and then this year Parasite, have come from outside the U.S. So I think, and I think, um, like, eight of the last ten best director winners are foreign-born. Like, we're... TV and movies are moving internationally, too, so it's very exciting. We've got off topic, but that's okay. Yeah, that's a podcast. So, yeah, that's a podcast. All right, we'll, uh, we'll stop it there. Uh, not run quite as long this time. I'm not sure what we're going to review next week. Something on Hulu. We're not always going on Netflix. Peanut Butter Falcon not out yet? I don't think so. Not out yet? Okay. So we'll do something on Hulu. We'll see what they got. Uh, we'll podcast it and then you'll find out what it is yeah. in two weeks it'll be honey boy so yeah that's on amazon prime and we're very excited about that it's got lucas hedges shia labeouf i think he directed it i think so. um we're gonna be doing two shia labeouf soon please tune in if you love him awesome if you don't tune in to give him a chance he's great yep all right cool yeah we'll wrap up there this has been hd shack i'm gonna go with that now and daniel gillespie and uh, cues and answers. Stay classy.